my name is Ashley Murda. Part of the reason, or one of the things that first led me here, was that my lovely cousin is Pastor Seb. So Pastor Seb's up here at the front, if you don't know who that is. And uh, he often is leading worship, or speaking, or doing whatever else here. And it's, you know, it really feels like family being here. And even coming back to Spruce this morning, I was like, man, I kind of miss this place because it's been a while. So, All right. So as Pastor Brett said, we are, we've been going through a series uh, called Open and talking about being open to the things of God, being open to the things that he's doing. And what I'm going to talk about is being open to the Lordship of Christ. And so the little like tagline that Pastor Brett sent was, uh, if Jesus ain't, or isn't Lord of all, he ain't Lord at all. So if that's all you take away today, we'll just go with that. We can pack up and go home. Um, so a couple, I want to say like a year ago, but again, apparently my math is bad, but Pastor Brett was talking to me and he was saying, you know, I really believe that we don't always need to have the same person up here speaking at the congregation all the time. And I said, yeah, like, I agree with you. That's great. And he said, um, I also believe that we should have more women speaking and, you know, speaking the word of God to the people. And I was like, yeah, I agree with you. That's great. He's like, awesome. When are you preaching? And I was like, I don't really feel like I signed up for that. But just know if you're sitting here and you're like, I would never be up there. You aren't safe. You, this, it might happen to you. But also, I just did want to say, like, if you're not the person up here, if you're not, you know, singing, which I would never do, let me tell you, you don't want that, right? Uh, or if you're not speaking or whatever it is, the role that you have and what you do is just as important, and we need you just as much serving. So, you know, where, wherever you end up serving, that's awesome, and we're so happy to have you. All right, so I'm going to be speaking from Philippians 2. 9 to 11, and I'm going to read this passage, and then I'm going to kind of circle back to it and talk about it a little bit more. So if you have your Bible, you could turn to Philippians 2. I think it'll be up on the screen. Yes, nice. I've always wanted to say that. Uh, Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is talking about where God puts Jesus and that he is elevated above everything else. All right, so you might be still thinking, who is this girl? I've given you a little bit of background. Um, I've given you my name, but also um, I am a teacher. So my day job is I teach grade 7 to 12 students at Millwoods Christian in Edmonton. And I mostly teach food studies, which is a great choice. If you're not sure what to do with your life, being a foods teacher is awesome. Um, I get to teach kids how to cook. I get to, they want to be there. There's food at the end of the day, so they're motivated to work. And, um, you know, it's, it's a good thing. And I also teach a little social nine and Christian studies, but, you know, mostly foods. So, um, and kids say, this has nothing to do with my sermon, but kids say the weirdest thing sometimes. The other day I ran into a student in the library and he was working on a list. And so I was like, well, what are you, what are you doing here? And he said, well, what I'm doing, Ms. Marta, is I'm categorizing my students in worst to best smelling. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, like I smell all my friends and then I like put them in a category of like who smells the best. I kid you not this happened. He is in grade 11. I don't, I have no words for it. I mostly just said that so that if you understand why on earth anyone would ever do that, you can come talk to me after. Um, 
I was also born and raised in the church. Um, like Pastor Brett said, I grew up going to church. That's why he's known me since I was little. And um, there was a time for me where Jesus became really real. And I remember this moment. I was in grade seven. I was at a youth retreat, and I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, and we were kind of listening to the sermon and all that stuff. And then um, I heard it was like this this thing inside of me. There was an altar call, and it was, do you want to, like, go deeper with Jesus and know him and make him Lord of your life or Savior? And um, I just had to stand up, and I had to hear, kind of give my life to God in that moment. And I just remember feeling that peace and that presence of God. And, um, you know, since then, it hasn't always been this, like, easy journey. And I think a lot of you probably know how that goes. It's not easy, but it has been... I remember that moment that kind of just started that for me. And I think a lot of people in this room would have a similar kind of experience to look back to. But I would say in that moment, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And some of you know Jesus as the Savior, the one who saves you from your sins, saves you from where you were and brings you to where you're going to be. And some of you know Jesus as a father. Some of you know Jesus as a friend. But today I want to talk to you about Jesus as a Lord. And I'm going to explain kind of the difference there. So I know I struggle with this sometimes. It's easy to make Jesus a part of my life. So, you know, I wake up and I'm doing my thing and, you know, at some point I'm praying, at some point I'm maybe reading my Bible if, if it's a good day, and uh, I'm, Jesus is in the mix. You know, I teach at a Christian school, so we start with the Lord's Prayer and we, it comes up in my day-to-day, -day, but there's a difference between making him a part in the mix, and then pulling him to the part, the central thing, the first thing I think about, the first place that I go when things get tough and all that sort of thing. So um, Matthew, Jesus is talking in Matthew 6, um, verse 23, and he's just saying that, uh, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Now, I remember my, my sister is here. She's over there. And I remember her telling me this story once about um, she went to this small group, and there was a girl speaking about her relationship with God. And she explained that Jesus, she really wanted to make Jesus like the central focus of her life. So when she woke up in the morning, she would get ready. And before she even put on a pair of socks, she would pray to God which socks she was supposed to wear that day and wait for an answer before she put on socks. And I was like, Okay, if I wake up and I find a pair of matching socks in my drawer, that's the Lord's will for that day. Like, we're good to go. Um, but I think there's a difference between, you know, one extreme of, like, not being able to, to live a day-to-day -day life to finding that balance of, okay, but how do we put God first? How do we let him have control over our decisions, let him be Lord in our lives? So back to Philippians 2. Um, Paul is explaining a bit about the character of Jesus so that we as believers can understand why we are supposed to be like him. He's telling us this is who Jesus is, and that's why it's worth trying to be like him. Um, he mentions that because of the honor of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will declare that Jesus is Lord. So what does the word Lord mean? Um, sometimes in the Bible, this is just referring to like master. So it's just saying, even it's meant like it's said to humans as well as God, it's master or Lord is, is that person. But sometimes it is also um, referred to it talking about God. And the actual word means like to bend or to curve. So it's like kind of bending or curving to the will of, 
of this other person. Um, and also, uh, if you've been sorry, if you've been to the Christian church for a while, you've probably heard people pray using the word Lord. So, Lord Jesus, I pray today that Lord, you would be here, Lord, in this place, and Lord, and Lord, and Lord, and Lord. You might have heard that before. I have a photo. I don't know if it's there to show. So this is if we talk to people the way we talk to God. Um, Emily wife, could you just pick up just up some milk, Emily wife, while you're at the store? Just go ahead, Emily wife, and just go into the milk section, Emily. Just grab some milk, Emily, and just place it just in your cart, wife. Anyways, it goes on. But basically, it's like sometimes you've heard the word Lord, Lord Jesus, or whatever in praying, and things like that. But there's, again, there's this difference between hearing this word knowing that it's a part of who God is, but actually then taking that and applying what that's supposed to mean to our lives. Um, all right, so also Philippians 2 is using the word to explain that Jesus, again, is elevated to this highest place. And so I, what I'm kind of talking about today is how do we get Jesus up to that high number one place? So Romans 10.9, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So the word Lord is used here, but it's talking about if we are declaring that Jesus is Lord and believing in our heart, you will be saved. So this has power. Understanding this, it, it means something. It's actually really important to our faith. Um, and the Bible tells us that we all have sinned. We all have fallen short um, of God's standard. So when we do this work of putting Jesus first, uh, we will be saved from the judgment of God. That's kind of the, the gospel message that brings us all together. So I, I don't want to just say, I love Jesus. I accept his teaching. He's a good man. He means something to my life. I want to make that transition to he is the thing. He is the reason. Um. And it's easy, I know for me, it's easy to think that I've done this and now I'm done. So that day in grade seven or even when I started to realize this further, okay, I understand Jesus is Lord. We're good to go. I can move on and I can learn a new truth about the Bible. But I think at least for me, it's something that's like a daily thing. It's something where I have to surrender and say, okay, God, I want you to have this place, Jesus. I want you to have this place in my life. How do I do that? How are you, how are you, how am I going to? you know, move things around so that I can make room for you. Our human nature is, and our natural inclination is always going to be to put ourselves first. Um, you do not have to train little kids to be selfish. Um, my mom told me that my first word was no. She did not have to train me how to say no, nor to want to get my own way all the time. I am still working through this process today. So um, that selfishness is definitely there in me, I know. And I think even I can tell you with my students, like I do not have to train them to think about themselves first. Um, to get them to clean their kitchens at the end of the day sometimes feels like pulling teeth because they've got what they want out of it and, you know, they're gone. They're, they're good to go. They don't want to do the hard work or the dishes or whatever. Um, but... The truth is that we have to lay ourselves aside. Our self is going to be the first thing that gets in the way when it comes to putting Jesus first because we put ourselves first. That's naturally what's going to happen if we don't think too much about it. 
Um, Jesus mentions this in Luke when he says in chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Okay, so in my last small group, we were talking a little bit about this process, so taking up our cross, and also if you're not in a small group and don't do one, um, I know I have one in Edmonton, it's the young adult small group, and there's lots around the city, so it's such a good way to like dive into some of this stuff and get to know some people and get involved. So that's my little plug for small groups, but woo. Anyways, um, so take up your cross. I doubt any of you have like a 10-foot wooden cross that you strap to your back every morning and, you know, learn how to do that. So we were just talking amongst ourselves, okay, so what does it actually mean to take up our cross? How do we do this? Um, and I think kind of what we're talking about is to, taking up our cross is taking up those things that are going to put Jesus second or third or fourth or whatever it is, and giving them to the cross of Jesus, which is what that means is surrender. Jesus surrendered on the cross. We surrender those areas of our lives, those things, and we, we let him take care of them. We let him have that number one spot. So the question is, this sounds, at least for me, this sounds like a bit of work. You know, giving Jesus this spot, it sounds hard. I I like putting myself first. It comes naturally. It's easy. So why is it even worth doing this hard work? Why do I want to put Jesus in his rightful spot? Um, I think sometimes it can seem like things are going okay. I've got God in the mix. Everything's fine. Why am I stressed about this? Um, it seems like a seemingly small problem that is only going to get worse. I have a story about this. So about a month ago, Pastor Seb Haley, myself, and my friend Natalie, we won a trip to go to Toronto for a weekend, which was great. We had a really good time, and we got put up in, like, this fancy hotel. And before I travel, I always bring with me granola bars. And the reason for this is because I have a tendency to get hungry a lot. And then when I get hungry, I get angry. And it's not good for the people around me, so much so that some of my friends actually bring granola bars on my behalf because... They just want, they don't want to deal with that issue. So before I travel, and I even have like two in my bag right now. I'm not lying. So if you're hungry, I got something for you. But anyways, um, so I, before I traveled, I have this like bag in this spare room. And it's got like my travel stuff. And I found like a bunch of granola bars. So I was like, sweet, I'll just throw those in my bag. Be good to go. Get to t Toronto. I'm packing my bag for the day. So I'm grabbing some granola bars to put in my backpack for the day. And I pull one out and I notice that there is like tiny little bite marks all the way around and then like half the granola bar is eaten. So unless Seb found his way into there and has tiny teeth, there was a really good chance that I had mice. And I have a house that's like pretty old, so this happens sometimes. Um, but needless to say, I wasn't stoked about it. So I showed them, we were in Toronto, I couldn't do anything about it there. And so I knew I had this mice problem. And then I get home, and life gets busy, and I have a, <laughs> I have a tendency to kind of leave things sometimes. <laughs> I didn't see a lot of mice poo. I was like, you know what, maybe we've learned to like cohabitate, and like, <laughs> these are my roommates. There's, there's not a lot of serious negative side effects at this point. The mice are here, but you know, we're doing okay. Maybe they're living in the walls, and like, they found a good place to, to get rid of their excrement, and we're good. So anyways, <laughs> I didn't do anything for about two weeks, three weeks, anyways, too long. So then um, I was about to leave on this trip to Belize and I was going to uh, go with my school as a chaperone for like a service trip. 
And before you go, you kind of clean up and get everything put away. And so I go to clean up my garbage and throw it in the dumpster or the back. And so I pull out my garbage can. I'm like, something seemed fishy, but I, I couldn't register what it was. And I go to like close and tie up the bag. And all of a sudden, this mouse jumps out of the bag, lands on my hand, and catapults and runs underneath my kitchen cupboards. And I was not okay. I honestly like screamed for probably 10 minutes straight. I kid you not. And then I texted Pastor Seven Haley and told them that I was sorry, but I had to burn my house down and I was just letting them know. Like I was not okay. And this small problem that I thought was not a big deal was now a very big, this mouse had made it personal. Um, it touched me. Like I can still feel its little hands on my hand if I close my eyes. Anyways, so finally, and I wanted to tell a story. Like I was like, I'm going to tell a story and I'm going to throw Seb under the bus because he's always up here and he like can say things about me and... But the truth is, so I was freaking out, and I was like, guys, I'm fine. I'm an adult. Like, I'm fine. It's a mouse. But I was not fine. And, like, probably an hour later, Seb and Haley show up at, like, 9 p.m., which is well past Haley's bedtime. And they had, like, 10 mouse traps that they set up that night and, like, completely rescued me. And then a mouse died in the night. Anyways, besides the point, what I'm trying to say is, sorry, I know, shorter. Um, so... <laughs> So this little problem that seemed to be okay, it was hidden. It was beneath the surface. I didn't know where the mice poo was. I found it after. Um, but, and I cleaned it. Um, but it, it didn't seem like that big of a deal, right? But then the problem continued to grow. It continued to get bigger. There was two mice. And I'm sure if I had left it longer, there would have been baby mice. And then we really would have had a problem. Um, but the truth is that these little things that sometimes we leave underneath the surface and we think are okay, those problems, if we don't deal with them, if we don't put God where he deserves to be, it's just going to get bigger. It's just going to get out of control. And, and so that's kind of one of the things that, that God's been trying to teach me as well. Um, so in the Old Testament, um, the way the Israelites interacted with God was in the tabernacle. So there was this building, and within the tabernacle, there was this little room, and that's kind of what housed the presence of God. To separate that little spot where only the high priest could go, there was this veil. And the veil was what kind of contained that. And when Jesus died on the cross, he sacrificed himself for us. That veil was torn, but it was torn from top to bottom. So that really shows that, like, God was making a point here. He was telling us that the presence isn't contained there anymore. We all have access to this, this presence of God, and that's what changes things. That's what makes Christians different from other people is access to this presence of God. But I think, sadly, what I've done and I think what some of us have done is we start to, like, construct our own veil. And we put something there in between that presence. And what we're doing is we're taking this power that we're supposed to have such easy access to and we're putting something there. We're putting a, a barrier. Um, and I think that barrier is self. I think that's when we elevate ourselves to the number one spot instead of putting God where he belongs. So... Um, when the veil is in place, we don't have the life and the power that we're supposed to have. You know, when in the Bible it's talking about, you know, how Christians are supposed to be set apart and how 
this is supposed to be the number one thing that brings you joy and brings you fulfillment. And I know I've been at places in my life where I'm like, I wouldn't say that my Christian life is the thing that is doing that for me. And I think what's happening there is it's not God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Like, he's not the one who's changed. I'm the one who's changed. I'm the one who's put something in between there. So I, um, I have to remove this veil. So I'm going to talk about how, you know, I'm going to do that. But uh, maybe you can also learn something from this sort of process. So um, there's, I think, some steps that I can just sort of leave you with and um, kind of to give you a little bit of where do we go from here? We know that this might be there. This might be a problem. What's next? Because um, I don't know about you, but I don't want this like half-hearted version of faith. I don't want to just be living in half the power and half of what God has for me. All right, so step one, acknowledging the veil. Um, when we just do what we naturally want to do, live on without changing much, that veil is going to, there's going to be self because that's just natural. That's what happens. Um, so what I'm going to talk about is some five areas of self that maybe one of them will kind of stick out to you and be like, yep, I know for me when I was kind of working through some of this, I was like, yep, yep. Like there's a few there that just make sense for me. Um, I'm not going to go too deep into them, so it's kind of just one of those things where you can pray about it and ask God, like, is this here? Is this in my life? And what can I do about it? So the first one is self-righteousness. This is where we kind of feel like I've done the work to earn some favor with God. Um, You you feel like maybe you would judge others if they don't measure up or if they're not quite where they need to be. It's not that you're like, oh, they're a terrible person, but you just sort of this idea of like, I've made it through that, so you know God's going to bless me because of the work that I've done. Um, the second one is self-pity. Uh, you may have met this person or you know you can recognize it in yourself, but it's, you know, God or the church or people or something has failed me. And so because of this, I'm just going to give like a little part. Of, I'm going to hold a little bit back because I'm, I've been hurt before. I've been burned before. And this idea that, you know, I am owed this because of a wronged past or, or just feeling sorry for ourselves. The third area here is self-confidence. So this is when we put confidence in ourselves before God, which I guess is pretty self-explanatory in the name, but it's thinking that we've kind of like, again, earned this place in the world, and you know, I've got this a little bit. The fourth one is uh, self-sufficiency, and this is when we get our strength, our joy, our peace, all these things that the Word talks about, but instead of going to God for them, we go to ourselves for them, and when we do that, and use ourselves as a source, you can imagine that the power and the strength of those things is so much less than if we actually get it from God. And then finally, in the selves, and there's more than just these five, but I thought that these were some that um, could sort of easily be communicated, and I know it's something that you can just pray about and kind of ask God to reveal those in you. But self-love. So we are, the Bible says that we are supposed to love God first and then love your neighbor as ourselves. And it can be easy sometimes to put ourselves in that number one place of loving ourselves first and then putting God second. So just making that transition and turning that around. All right, so I think even if you don't naturally like, oh, that's me, that's me, I think it's easy to think of someone in these roles or, or that has these things. 
in them, but I, I think sometimes it's, it's easy to look around and see that in other people, but to actually turn around and see that in ourselves is a, is a difficult work. It's not always an easy thing to do. And um, Jesus is asking us to do that hard work. He's asking us to look inside of ourselves. And the reason he's doing this isn't to make it hard or difficult on us. It's because when we do that hard work, the result is going to be worth it. It's going to be so much better. Um, so uh, just to go back to my small group again, but we've been kind of studying this, this book and we've been talking through a few things um, and it is talking a little bit about this process of, of taking it to the cross, surrendering these things to God. Um, and the nice thing about this is we, our job is to repent and take it to the cross and to surrender, but Jesus' job is to do the rest. We aren't to pull this out of ourselves. We aren't to do that work. God is supposed to do that because he's the one who has the power and he's faithful to do it in us. Um, so our job is just to yield and to trust him and say, okay, God, do this work in me. Pull these things out of me. And then as a result, he's going to do the beautiful thing that he's promised. So I just want to read a quote from this book because I think it sums it up really nicely, this whole process. He says, The cross is rough and it is deadly, but it is effective. It does not keep its victim hanging there forever. There comes a moment when its work is finished. The suffering victim dies. After that is resurrection, glory, and power. And the pain is forgotten for joy that the veil is taken away. And we have entered into the presence of the living God. And we have, you know, we have t-shirts that say from death to life and talking about this process and how this starts and how this happens. But it's the most beautiful, most miraculous process that we can ever go through. Step three is simply repeat. So like I said, this isn't a one and done thing. This is something that happens and it goes on and it goes on and Jesus is faithful to do this work. But um, in John 10, 10, there's a passage where Jesus is talking about how we are his sheep and he takes care of us. And what he says is that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I have come that they have may, may have life and have it to the full. So it's this difference between if we let ourselves get in the way of the thief and let ourselves get into that terrible cycle, or if we come out and we have life and we have it to the full. If we just stay in this halfway point, I really feel like we're missing out. We're not getting the full point. We can't settle for living with God on the other side of a man-made veil, only catching glimpses of him every once in a while. That's when our Christian life becomes exhausting and difficult and the joy God promises seems so far away. When we allow God to do this work in us, the results will be worth it. He will be faithful and he will take us through. So um, yeah, join me kind of in this process and letting God have this lordship and doing the things that he wants to do in us.